everybody. Welcome to the Convergence Podcast. The Convergence is a space designed for university students, college students, and young adults to explore and deepen their faith. This is a space to think, to question, to doubt, and hopefully, ultimately, to worship. We are so glad you're here. So this is a follow-up conversation to the last talk that I gave on mission. Now, if you missed it, the link for the talk is in the show notes. And here we take up the conversation with lots of great questions from students. Now, by the way, before we jump into the conversation, I wanted to let you know that our final convergence of the year, I know how are we there already, is taking place on April 14th at 7 p.m., we are taking up the question of discernment. Have you ever wondered if you're in the right program at university, which job is right for you as you're discerning that, if you should move to that particular city? These are all questions in which we are trying to discern God's best for our lives. Our friend and spiritual director, Bob Osborne, is deeply gifted in guiding people through these questions in order to get a sense of what God is up to in their lives. So Bob will lead us through some practical teaching, and then we're going to open it up for Q&A. The info for the live event as well as the Zoom registration is in the show notes and we hope to see you there for this final convergence of the school year. Now on to our live conversation. Enjoy. This is our convergent conversation following up uh, our last uh, convergence uh, where Phil spoke on mission and we're going to dive into uh, Phil's uh, theme and talk, which was an excellent talk, and got my juices flowing. And so uh, I have some questions for Phil tonight, and you have some questions, and we're going to try to practice dialogue. So uh, I know, you know, us up here always have a lot to say, but we'll try to, we'll try to limit ourselves and be yes. pointed and to the point. And please, we want your participation. And so let's make this a meaningful night of learning. Um, <laughs> uh, I think you're here because you probably like to talk and converse and think. Uh, so you're the kind that show up for this. We just have one rule. If you don't like what we say, you can't come up and slap us. <laughs> Sorry, that's a, that's a bad joke. I know. But uh, we're against that. We're against slapping on stage. So you can't Keep do that. Keep my wife's name <laughs> out your mouth. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah okay. So, uh, but you can ask your question. <laughs> and this is uh, intended to be um, for the purpose of uh, more light than heat, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, I think sometimes maybe uh, part of the reason why we don't know how to engage in dialogue in the public sphere is we haven't done it. Uh, in smaller settings. So, so may we do that more and more and better and better. Yeah. So let's pray as we begin. So Lord, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for our friends. Uh, thank you for the subject and the theme tonight because Lord, you, this is who you are. You are the outgoing God who, mm. who in an explosion of love thought up the world and its story. And so we want to be in sync with uh, where you're going and what you're doing. We want to think about this theme of mission tonight. 
So help us do that and help us each to receive something for our own life and our own mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Phil, Amen. Uh, great stuff. Uh, the theme of mission. Well, and I, I thought, had a hard act to follow. It was a hard act to follow. No, no, no. Previous one, absolutely. No, well, gee. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I thought maybe just as a beginning part to talk about mission generally. What are we talking about when we're talking about mission? Mm. Because, you know, I, I think you referenced it right off the top that mission has a lot of connotations in the church, especially the churches we grew up in. And we thought of mission as uh, sort of overseas. I mean, that's how yeah, I grew yeah. up with. Mission always was associated with that. And you referenced uh, Newbegin, mm-hmm. who spent his life in India and came back to England and realized that England had become a missional uh, location yes. in the sense that England had lost its sense of the gospel. And so he saw you know, the, the, the idea of mission to his own home country. So what are we talking about broadly when we're talking about mission? How would you phrase that? Whew. So a huge, huge, broad topic, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, most, if we're speaking just very, very broadly, I would say glorifying God um, in the way that we live our life and seek God's kingdom on earth. Uh, and, you know, I, I was thinking of, um, what's his name, uh, Christopher Wright, yes. who would say, actually, the end goal of mission is not mission. Yeah. The end goal of mission is worship, yeah. where we see um, every tribe and tongue gathered worshiping. And so that's kind of the end goal. But um, yeah, just I guess a few brief things on that. Um, a, that it doesn't exclude that idea of going, um, going. Although I would preface and say, even on the Great Commission, that um, I think it's always important to keep in mind that we are receivers of the Great Commission before we are ever givers. Right. Um, we were the ones who received the sent ones right. right before we were sent, and I think that's actually an important distinction. Um, but really, um, how do we see God's kingdom come on earth? And I talked about decisionism, that um, I want to see people make you know, um, open up their hearts to Jesus, make a decision. But mission is not merely decisionism. Right. Um, I think about seeking the welfare of the city, right? right? Which, um, what does it mean to, I was in, in a class today, and our professor said, you know, I'm curious about how churches spend money. Mm. Um, can we, can we, what if we have traumatized kids in our neighborhood and building a soccer field because they find joy in the midst of really difficult lives? Like, is it worth it? And immediately, internally, I'm thinking, I know that for some people, it would be like, well, it would be worth it if then we can have the conversation um, and then they come to Jesus. And without excluding that, without saying, I don't want that, I do want that, um, but I also believe it's a mission simply for these kids to enjoy playing soccer because uh, it brings God joy and it brings some semblance of healing to their lives. So um, I think there's a very broad thing here where right. God smiles on that. And um, so we got as bearers of 
the kingdom of Jesus in the world. We seek to somehow live out our own prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, Um, which is a whole lot broader than... um, than simply somebody making a decision. Again, without downplaying that. Right. But, you know, I think of Tom, like we were talking yesterday, just about, you know, what does a scientist, a Christian scientist, who says, I want to glorify God with science, is that not mission? I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it is us just using our gifts. And I guess this is where I get nervous because you have students who uh, graduate, they go through a degree. Um, some go on, have multiple degrees, and then they say, I have no idea how to serve God in the world. And I'm thinking, okay, but you're massively equipped as, right. you know, to write, to do this, to do that. So, um, but hopefully, ultimately, with the end goal of worshiping, worshiping Jesus. Yeah. Um, but that is the work, that also is the work of, of God, not simply my work. We just bear witness. Right. So uh, that's really good for all of us to, I think, think through what is mission uh, in a broad sense, and then how do I fit into the big mission? Yeah. So it could be like uh, a company has a mission, uh, Apple computers, I don't know what their mission is exactly, but they have a mission to sell stuff. But that doesn't mean every person in that company is doing the same thing. Mm. Yeah, They're yeah, all yeah, in a point. sort of a cohesive team, which, you know, we'll all do our particular thing. So. Yes. So that gets to the point where you were making that uh, sort of comment on the idea of diversity of language. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much richness to go there with what language is yeah. and what was going on in Acts 2 with the diversity of languages, diversity of people, diversity of languages. Mm. Uh, I don't know what you want to comment on there, but I mean, I have lost you know, a thought about languages, and I think it'd be interesting for us to engage even there. Yeah. Because, so here's Tom, you've been picked on twice now, tonight already, but Tom would speak the language of science, probably. And in each of our disciplines, we do speak different languages to different groups of people, which is one uh, sort of angle on this. But what do you want to say more about language? Uh, Because we could talk about language as, you know, sort of English and Mandarin and whatever else, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. So I, I okay, I'll go two directions with this, and feel yeah. free to interrupt. And it doesn't just have to be a question, by the way. You can just make a comment too. Yeah. Like, yeah, this gets me thinking of of this. Um, we just really, really welcome that. Um, I would go two directions. First is the carefulness, uh, being careful with our own language. Mm. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I talked about that night was this idea of, like, going, we're winning, right? We're winning people for right. Jesus. We're winning our city. Right. And I would say that that's not careful language. Um, and that it's loaded. No, and it's not biblical. The biblical language is that of witness, of bearing witness. Um, you know, A.J. Swoboda, who spoke um, last semester online with us, one of the things that he would he he talks about this Eugene Peterson talked about language all the time these we talk about these different uh things but not carefully so we say things like you know the church is a hospital for example right and it's like is it is the church a hospital does that mean that only people who feel very sick can come here and then once you get healed then don't come anymore 
because that kind of seems like what, what it would imply, right? right. Um, but the same thing for me with, with mission is we have to be very careful in our words. Um, and I, I think that that's a discipline that we need to get back to is learning how to speak to one another um, using the right words. I, you said something um, actually when we were talking at the end of that night. I'm trying to remember now. Uh, well, I, I, I might have been saying something about, I had an experience of teaching in South Africa uh, just at the end of, of apartheid yeah. when uh, Mandela had got into power and there was a real euphoria in the country. Uh, so I was there in 81 at the height of apartheid. Yeah. I was there in 96 after apart, you know, Mandela kind into power, and then I was there in 2013, mm. some years later. But the, this time I'm talking about, I uh, was teaching in English, and I realized that a lot of the young people, uh, black Africans who'd grown up in that country and had been, sort of been educated under apartheid, yeah. actually resisted tremendously Afrikaans, which is the the language of, of apartheid, mm. the original sort of Dutch derivative. Yep. And they hungered for English, mm. which is a kind of an interesting thing. Uh, there was a language to them of oppression. There was a language of freedom. Mm. And you could use that as a metaphor. It was a real thing, but it's also a metaphor. Yeah. There's a way to speak that carries resonances. You know, there's probably a way that the church could speak that is ugly and controlling and militaristic and whatever. There's another language, you know, Bart talked about the language of Zion speaking a biblical language. There's mm -hmm. a way to speak that's probably life-giving and freeing and empowering and ennobling, right? Yeah. And so to your point, uh, it's not just English uh, and French, but it's, it's our very structures and it's our very uh, vocabulary yeah. that matters. And you brought that to light with that idea of winning versus, you know, better ways to talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Logan. Go ahead, Logan. Oh, we'll get you, get you unmuted it's coming. here. Go ahead. All right. Is it, oh, okay. Wait. Um, I have a question about witness um, and what that means for kind of as we go out, how do we find opportunities to witness? Because, um, like, it seems like then that would be the task of, like, the missionary almost in some way is to go and find opportunities to witness. And so do you then push yourself on for opportunities to witness? Or, I don't know, how do you get to a place of where people actually ask you to witness? Um, mm -hmm. And, like, what does that look like, I guess, for, like, the missionary? Because I feel like that idea of witness was really challenging for me and, like, beautiful and awesome. Um, but, I don't know, just, like, what if nobody's asking you to witness? And maybe is there, like, is there a problem then with how you're living your life? Or, yeah, if you speak to that. Uh, this is this is a fantastic question and I'll put you on the spot after just to say you know see what you're finding as well I mean because he here's here's how I think we've we still think in some ways that people are asking questions they're not asking um, I feel like we're always throwing out all these authors names <laughs> but whatever uh, James James Jamie Smith James K. A. Smith I mean, he, he's written this book on Charles Taylor, um, and he, he makes the point very strongly. Um, Stefan Pass would be another guy, fascinating guy, um, that, that says, like, we have this idea of, like, people have this God-shaped hole in their lives. And he goes, we live in a society 
where actually people often think, I do not have a God-shaped hole in my life. I don't ever think about God, but I do like, you know, good movies and, you know, uh, meeting friends at the pub and, like, I have a very fulfilling life, thank you very much. So I don't know what you're saying. So I do think, actually, this is one of the great challenges of our time is to uh, how do we engage um, actually the questions that people are asking. And I think this is one of our problems that we are, as the church, I'm speaking really broadly here, but I think often as the church, we are trying to answer questions that people are not asking, uh, just to put it really bluntly. Um, so I think part of, part of witness actually begins with listening, listening to God, but also listening to our neighbor. What is it that people are actually asking? What is the need that they are articulating, or maybe not articulating, but uh, at least not directly articulating, but what is coming up underneath the surface um, where we might sense some of those things? So I think it's really, <laughs> this is where, when we're in the winning posture, so to speak, this is the great temptation, I think, is that we go out and we are trying to answer all the questions that nobody has. Uh, when we are bearing witness to Jesus, we are just being present to our neighbors and present to the people around. Like, okay, so here's a, here's a really simple example, and maybe a, a terrible one, but I meet my neighbor all the time, and, uh, you know, once a week, okay, coming over to the garage, you know, and um, he's an atheist, and but we, he, he's like, dude, we got to start a podcast because people need to know that an atheist and a minister can get along and like, let's, we, we should do this. So he's always bugging me to start a podcast. But, um, you know, we've been chatting for years. I don't, I'm not talking about God every time we're together. But there are moments um, where I'm like, well, I'll, you know, let me just tell you about this thing. Here's how I would see it from my perspective as a Christian. So we had this... Um, he's been having this kind of medical, he's been having this thing, you know, with ringing in his ears. It's been driving him, him insane. And I have it too, so he's like, I can talk to you about this. So he began this app um, of like mindfulness and stuff, and he's telling me all about it, and I'm just looking at him smiling, and he, finally he goes, I know, every time I do it, I'm thinking, this is, I know Phil thinks this is prayer, like, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, it, maybe it is prayer, Mitch, you know, and it's like, so I, it's just, um, these are these spaces of trusting that kind of slow thing, but this is, it's actually just listening to where people are at instead of assuming that we already know what they're, what they're asking, I think. And then when we're really faithfully listening, that's when I think we also, I don't know that we can even hear the voice of the Spirit. This might be a big statement. I don't know if we can really hear the voice of the Spirit if we can't hear the voice of our own neighbor. And, um, but I think when we more and more learn to listen, then, um, then we hear the voice of the Spirit, even in their own voice and in their own longing and stuff. So what are you finding? I mean, you're going out, uh, you know, weekly and, and, and hanging with people on the street. What are you finding? You got to talk in the mic, though. Yeah, I think, um, actually, I was talking to Sarah about this today, about just, like, the questions, um, or, like, the... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think you discover the places in their heart um, by listening 
and you discover the places that they're actually needing something, mm. right? And I think um, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just feel like I've been finding like almost like my prophetic voice in some way in, yeah. in listening, which is kind of an interesting thing where it's like something stands out to you in something that someone said, and you're like, why did you say that? It felt like very unnecessary for you to say that, but I want to mm. ask about that. And that was actually a place in their heart that was very deep and important and actually started to engage them with questions of faith. Mm. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I, and I, th yeah, I think when you also like, when you live differently, I think you're able to have people ask you, right? When, when people, when you actually are living with a hope, when you're actually living, um, with joy and peace in your life, people ask where, do, like in some way or another, right? Um, why do you have that peace? Why do you have that hope? Why do you have that joy? Mm. Um, and I think then that's also when you get to witness in some way. Yeah. Um, but, or like, why are you doing this kind thing, right? Like that's another way that people ask or just like, yeah, I don't know. But I think, yeah, definitely what you were saying about listening and hearing where people are at is huge. Um, and mm. I think when you're able to pinpoint the place in their heart that they're most struggling with or hurting or asking questions about, um, and you can hear that in their conversation and they're talking, I feel like that's when you get a cool opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. What's that, what's that uh, famous quote there, you know? <laughs> Preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. Yeah, who was, who was that? Well, it's been variously attributed. I think Francis was the original. That's, a, that's yeah. what I was wondering. We'll say Francis. Francis, yeah. Uh, but I think where witness goes wrong is when we sort of have this little script prepared. And right. it's like a it's telemarketing call and, you know, somebody's got the script to get through. And this is where we falsify it. Uh, so we've got to tell uh, sort of a presentation of the gospel or something as a witness. Instead of, uh, think of you, Logan, if it's philosophy, talk about philosophy from a Christian standpoint. That's yeah. your witness. You know, if it's science, talk about science from a Christian standpoint. You know, yeah. let, let these things flow within their own language groups toward the source of all things. Because one of the problems, I think, in the modern mind was that we divided secular and sacred. Right. Secular is not a problem, actually, if we understand. Secular means temporal, hmm. right? And <laughs> the temporal is good, and it's where we find God in the temporal, building roads and teaching classes and doing everything. Yes. But let that flow from wherever we are in the moment towards the source of that. So, hmm. so we can make witness without... Uh, sort of downloading a whole uh, idea of theology. We can give a Christian perspective or just our own personal faith perspective on whatever, whatever we're attending to right then. You know? yeah, yeah. And our witness can be attitudes and it can be just subtle nuances and shifts and it can be many, many things. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think witness, uh, when it becomes like sort of like a packaged thing, sounds false just like when we hear the telemarketer i always think of that yeah when they call me and they you know when they say robert osborne i know that's my name but it, all my friends call me bob so that's the way i discern it's a sales call <laughs> and then off they go <laughs> off they go and then you yeah. can't stop them yeah you know so mm. so witness to me is organic mm. that's the thing about jesus if you look at all the ways he interacts with people all the ways he heals people there's no formulas isn't that, yeah, isn't that amazing? There's no formula. There's never the same way twice. And I, I think one of the things to pay attention to as well, 
I don't know who said it, but I, I've heard somebody said, what you win them with is what you win them to. Mm. Um, and so if you think about our, you're thinking about programs, okay? The evangelistic programs, um, I'll, pick on, I'll pick on one, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And I'm sorry if you are a big fan of that. Um, it scared the hell out of me when I was a kid, literally. Um, but it, it's one of, these, one of these things where it's like, okay, so now um, you've come to faith in Jesus, and, but we've used the method of fear to get you there. So now you have a fear-based Christianity. And it actually, I think it takes a long time to exercise that out of people. So I, this is another thing with program is program has motive and often varying motives or varying methods behind and those methods can be deeply damaging to discipleship mm-hmm. um, like, which is what I think of what I'm, I'm curious from, from all of you, oh Kelly's got some, come on man I really liked your um, the emphasis on the, the bearing witness and also kind of your own uh, guilt around uh, not sharing Yeah, <clears throat> I guess you know, Thessalonians talks about make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and mind your own business and work with your hands and 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 yet and even in the Old Testament, one of my favorite passages is what do you do when you're in exile? You settle down, plant crops, pray for the peace and prosperity of the place you're in. But like I guess North America, all that we've known as Christians since before you were born, like we're we're pretty comfortable. Have we settled down too much? Mm. Where is the tension between an urgency to share the good news and fruitfulness, which Jesus talks a lot about? And so I'm just wondering about the interplay between some of those things. Because, and I think a lot of it is our experience. So coming with, oh, I'm hungry, Uh, I'm thirsty. Jesus talks about hungering for him, thirsting for him. I'm weary, I'm tired, whatever. So he can speak to that. you know, we've probably been more driven in our mission conventions and whatnot, go into all the world and preach the, you yeah. know, so I'm just wondering if you can elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah. Either of you. Do you want to start? Uh, I'll give another Francis quote. Uh, someone asked him, I guess he was hoeing his row, you know, tending the garden. And they said, what would you do if Jesus was coming back in an hour? And he said, I'd finish hoeing my row. <laughs> mm. I finished doing this, you know, I'd finished weeding this patch. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, um, you know, I don't know about desperation if it accomplishes anything. It seems to me that all that Jesus taught about was organic metaphors. And it's the slow process. It's the, the seed that becomes the tree. It's the slow process of the growth. And so, but I've always loved this, um, this parable of the growing seed out of Mark 4 where he talks about there's activity at the beginning in planting, there's activity at the end in harvesting, but then there's this period in the middle of where you just wait, you don't know how it works. The seed, you, the farmer doesn't understand the seed, he sleeps, he gets up, whatever happens, the seed grows. Um, and I think there are times when we're conscious that we're involved in something, but there's other times when we're just passive and waiting for that moment. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. I think the gospel has been planted in our culture, although it seems to be uh, retreating in some ways where people don't understand it more. 
But I wonder if uh, our posture almost always has to be that we're ready to receive and we have to have an openness of heart, right? So there's the activity of sowing and there's the activity of harvesting. I don't know, I'm searching for an answer here. But I, I, don't want, I, I do wonder if, if anxiety about it contributes anything to it. Right, yeah. And there's I, yeah. been a lot of anxiety in the church about you know, the urgency of this, but I don't think that that's really contributed anything. It's better to go out and do something constructive. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, go out and help somebody, <laughs> love somebody, give something, you know, help some kids, totally. start a sports league, do something, right, positive. Well, so two, two quick things. So back to paying attention to language um, for a second. So Kelly, you talked about um, the urgency to share the good news. Um, so... The word urgency, um, you know, I'm like, okay, what about joy? And is, there, and is there a difference between the urgency of sharing the good news and the urgency of converting someone? And that's, that's where I think we get stuck is we feel we have an urgency that we have to convert somebody. And I'm like, that, again, just to press this point, is that is not our role. But do I think that we should um, be the kind of people who are joyous about sharing the good news of Jesus? Absolutely. And I, you know, goodness, I, there's nothing I love more than that. And what, I guess what I find just per, have found personally is that the more I relax with that, the more opportunity I have. Yeah. Uh, because people don't feel like they're being used. They feel like they're, oh, they're entering into genuine conversation. The second thing I'll say, and, uh, you know, might receive some pushback on this, and this is okay. I think underneath, if I can just name a thing, and um, it's been great working with UCM. <laughs> um, anyway, label me a heretic or whatever, but he, okay, if I get underneath the urgency, why do we have the, well, let me ask you, why do you, why do you think we have this, I have to do this now, and they have to become saved? What, what, what is underneath that? What do you all think? Yeah. Eternal damnation. Eternal damnation. Okay. So, is the sharing of the good news, does it need to be rooted in our understanding of eternal damnation? Or can our sharing of the good news be rooted in our belief and our experience of the depth of the love of God. And I think that those are two different motivations. And sometimes I have people say to me, you know, well, goodness, if we soften hell, nobody will, nobody will want to share the good news. I'm like, what does it mean about us that we don't think that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ if it is not deeply rooted in, in eternal damnation? What if we share the good news of Jesus Christ because we believe God is unbelievably good and God is at God's essence love? And I do think that there's a difference in, again, drawing back to motivation. And so when our, when our fear, it's that fear-based, I'm going to share this because if I don't, insert your understanding of hell here. Um, I just don't see that 
Okay, I'm not trying to shake anybody's, you know, belief on any of this stuff. What I will say is just scripturally, I do not see, I don't see it in the Gospels. I, I don't see um, Jesus saying, I've got to get the message out. The, the hell in the Gospels is always directed to religious people. Maybe one exception. Um, and then again, in the book of Acts, that is not what I see preached, is turn or burn. Um, instead, it is, so talk about the mission of God. Stephen is being stoned, and what does, you know, not like stoned, he's like <laughs> throwing stones at him to, die, you know, he's going to die. And what he does is does not say, you're all stoning me, but if you don't turn now, you're all going to burn for eternity. He doesn't do that. He goes, let me tell you the story. Let's go back to the beginning and, and walk through the scriptural narrative. Uh, and he does that, and then, you know, and then they kill him. But, but this, we see this pattern over and over again. It's like, let's, we are going to share the story of God. So I think our motivation, I, I'm being long-winded here, but I think our motivation, if our urgency is coming out of a place of fear instead of out of a place of um, just being so in love with Jesus that we can't wait to share about Jesus. Come, come up, come up, please, Stephen. Um, so usually when I think of witness, I think of um, the story in the Bible where the, the, the Pharisee were investigating a man who was healed by Jesus. He was blind and now he could see. Mm -hmm. And um, they didn't believe it. So when they went to investigate, they went to the parents of the blind guy and they were asking is he a prophet is he this is he that and he said i don't know who he is yeah. but all that i know is that my son was blind right. and now he can see mm. i think that is a perfect example of what witness is right sometimes we think that when we go out there to evangelize we need to have all the answers yeah right or we need to answer every question but i think it comes down to your personal relationship with god mm. what has he done for you Right? Because based on that, that is what you're going to witness on. Right? So yeah. someone yeah. may ask you, what do you think about the church? What do you, I'm not a theologian. I may not have all the answers. Yeah. But what I know is that if I pray, he answers. Right? Mm. Or what I know is that he will never fail me. Or what I know is that he's always with me. He loves me. Right? Mm. And I think that is really a powerful tool when it has to do with witnessing. I yeah. love that. Absolutely right. I love that. Yeah. I don't know. All I know... <laughs> Is I was blind and now I see. Beautiful, beautiful. So, uh, yeah, let me just make one comment. Um, I believe that the gospel is the story of God and his saving work. And so, to your point, the redemption that God has brought into the world through Jesus. Yeah. And our witness is how we are getting in on that. Yes. That is as simple as it is, right? And we don't have to figure out all the, you know, the pieces. Mm. We want to perceive them as much as we can. Yeah. But that's, a, to, to your point, and it's a beautiful point, it's our interaction with that. So there's a story, and then here's our story. Yeah. That's a simple connection to it. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I've, like, also just, like, gotten a new understanding of, like, what it means to share, like, Christ crucified, like, the resurrection and the death and resurrection and it's like part of like I feel like that's our testimony like we all have a testimony of the death and resurrection and like you know we were all dead and now we are alive through Christ being born again literally like we're not literally but you know what I mean so I feel like that is what I'm realizing is like so powerful and like even when sharing our testimony 
when we share that like we were literally dead and now we're alive like we can tie that into Jesus being dead and alive because that's still I think like I feel like we forget like I forget all the time when sharing the gospel that's like the most impactful thing I could really say like Jesus died and resurrected like that's pretty insane you know and that is like so powerful and I feel like I always forget to like mention that and you can mention that like when you're tying it into your testimony like the way Jesus literally died and resurrected that's what happened when he entered my life like I was literally dead in my sin just like you and now I have new life abundant because of him so yeah I'm just like agreeing with you yeah and I love that you know the resurrection is in the Christian confession we do not say Christ uh, Christ um, has died Christ um, what am I trying to say here, Bob? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Christ, Christ, has, Christ has died. Christ, uh, we say, is risen. Christ will come again. Not Christ was risen. Mm -hmm. Because the resurrection is this current event. So that we're witnessing to not simply that Jesus did die and was raised, but is raised. So in other words, um, that that power, the resurrection power, is available now. And I think sometimes people experience it, have no name for it, and that's, we can name it. So yeah, that's a beautiful point. Sarah. I don't know if I'm taking the conversation in a different, um, oh, no, a please. different way, but I was just thinking about this idea of maybe we don't know how to witness because we don't even really know what the gospel is or like yeah. what the good news is. That's kind of such a, we assume in the kind of Christian community that everybody mm -hmm. knows like what the gospel is. Just go out and so, share the yeah. gospel. But even thinking of Jesus, it says that he traveled and preached the good news, but he hadn't even died yet. So I'm like, what was the gospel that Jesus preached? Like, what was the good news that he preached before he even died and like resurrected? I don't know. Yeah. Himself. Mm. Yeah. Himself. Yeah. So, so I do believe your point is absolutely critical. Yes. That when we're talking about witness, what are we witnessing to? And the confusion is as to what is the gospel. And I think the previous uh, era of the, especially in the Protestant world, was this idea of a transaction we made with God. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you sort of make your bargain or your agreement with God. You say a prayer and and that kind of thing. But I, I actually think the gospel is the story of God. Yes. And it's a good story. And so what we're invited to, it, and it's, it means that the world is so deeply embedded with purpose and meaning. So I often say, I don't know the meaning of everything, but I think everything has meaning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a meaningful existence. And our witness then is when we somehow catch on to our part in the meaning and that's a good message to share mm. your life too has meaning don't just live it out and throw it away because right now your life is hugely filled with meaning whether you've caught all the meanings yet or not yeah. it is and so sharing the gospel is the good story of god which includes all of us and to wake up to the story that we're participating in as deeply meaningful. Um, I think that narrative sense, because this is how the Bible is brought to us. The Bible is not brought to us as a set of propositions. It's brought to us as a story that has statements of, you could say propositional truth, but its frame is a story. Yeah. And in fact, what you were saying about death and resurrection, see, this is the story. It's a story. Yeah. This is the shape of the story of the dying and the rising. Yeah. Oh no. Now it's going to start getting tough. 
Yes, but what about... So, so my, my brain's just <laughs> bouncing on a whole bunch of different things, so I'll try to yeah. bring it all together here. But <clears throat> So I come from a YWAM background, mission, and all that sort of stuff, right? And uh, I do... I, I had to wrestle this, this stuff a lot. Yeah. That we always do project-oriented mission. And I, for a while, I balked at it. I hated it. I thought that's no place for it. But now I'm coming back to terms with it and going, yeah, actually, there is a place for it. The place for it is for us to learn how to do stuff. That's good, but we can't live in that moment. You can't live that way in that high intensity. What, what do you call it? Urgency, mm -hmm. right? You can't do that all the time. Now we bring it to something I do witness about all the time, hockey. So hockey mm -hmm. is this sort of thing. You can't be in playoff mode all the time. You can't play every game, the NHL 82 games or whatever, in the season. You can't play playoff games. Right. At some point, you amp it up and you play playoffs. But all the stuff you're doing beforehand is your natural way, your natural habits of winning habits and all these sort of things. So there's a natural habit to living the normal Christian life. And the normal Christian life is your witness. The words that you say, yes. like you said, the things that you do, and, and when necessary, use words. And, and I think that's part of it. But at some point, you realize playoffs is around the corner, and yeah. you get an opportunity to play in the big game. And that's part of it. You recognize now there's an opportunity to do it, whether it's a Sunday doing downtown or whatever. And projects, I'm not balking at projects. Projects maybe are necessary. But there is a simplicity in just being a hockey player. And I'm 54 years old, and I'm still playing hockey, but I'm never playing for any playoffs. But it's this idea that you're always living the normal Christian life. Mm. And whenever that comes around, hey, you find yourself in a playoff moment or you're at a big game, whatever your big game is at 54. But, you know, so I think that's part of it. Just yeah. learning to be natural in yes. at all times preaching the gospel, at all, all times being ready. What does that mean to be ready mm. when Paul encouraged Timothy yeah. to always be ready, right? Yeah. So that's good art. I love that. I love that. Yeah. What what does it mean for it to become natural, right? To be ready. Like I think of um goodness that I, I can't remember who it was, but the guy he who he was flying over I think the New York harbor mm -hmm. and uh they hit like these geese or something. And the plane was crashing, and he was able to get everyone out safely. Oh, yeah, Sully. Sully, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and calmly. And, yeah. But the, you know, the, the kind of principle here was, because he had practiced this his whole life, like it just became, you enter into these practices. And so I will say, this is why, even though we didn't initially plan it, why it was really important for you to deal first with the interior work of mission, because the, the practices form us and shape us into being those type of people, Art, that you're, you're saying that it's like, you're just, it's not like, you know, learning how to skate, right? You're 54, you're like, I've been at this for, you know, a couple decades, whatever, but I've, I still don't know how to skate. It's like, the practices then make it natural. And so I think that's why the interior element of this becomes, you know, important. Okay, I wanna, I wanna give you an illustration that's really helped me. That uh, to breathe in and breathe out is existing. Mm. 
but to breathe in and speak out is a different thing. Mm. Okay? So in Acts 2, when you're referencing it, you will be filled with the Spirit and you will speak. Yes. So there's a difference between just merely existing, breathing in and out, which is a purposeless or not knowing that life has purpose, right? Just existing or just going for sensations or whatever life brings and breathing in so that you might speak out meaning and create friendship and express love and say value and speak a word of truth and notice something good. So speech is articulated breath is what it is. Right? Mm. We're breathing in, but we breathe out in a word. And see, that's, this is why I think speech is at the heart of our human vocation. And that's why mission involves speech. So not only what you're doing, but why are you doing it? Mm. Right? So there is a time when we're to give a reason for what we do. Why are you teaching? Why yeah. are you in science? Why are you a philosopher? Right? Well, this is why. You know, this is who I am. I love that. But... We can't do that without breath. So there is an interior work before the articulated work of speech that goes out, if you know what I'm saying. Totally. Yeah. So it's always uh, something happens in us, and then we're able to express it to those around us, the why. Yeah, Yeah. which I think goes back to Kelly's point of like, do we just do nothing? No, we, we we do more than breathe. Yeah. We learn how to articulate and we speak, which ties in also, Sarah. I I think what you said is so important, again, just about this this gospel piece. I'm convinced that if we went to a bunch of churches and had people write down what the gospel is, we would have so many different answers. (laughs) And so I think learning how to articulate what actually is the gospel. Um, And then when we learn how to articulate it, we learn how to breathe, we're formed. then we, we speak. Yeah, Tom. We've talked about you enough. It's fi- you're finally up here. Hey, this is Tom, everybody. <laughs> um, so when you were talking about speak, like speech and breathing out the word, I was thinking back to like Genesis 1 where yeah. God speaks and creates the universe. Like are we, yeah. in some way, when we speak, like creating the world or yeah. how... What's the relationship there? I was wondering if you could just explore that a bit. Yeah, well, we're made in the image of God, and I I would say that that uh, involves several facets, but one facet that I'm fascinated with is our ability to to use language and to express ourselves. So this is deeply part of our mission. Um, God speaks things into existence, and then he breathes into the human person, and the human person becomes a living soul. And then God waits to see what, what the human person will name stuff. Yeah. Which is fascinating. What do you call that? What, what will you say about that thing? You know, God is interested in our speech back, you know? And what do you think that says to you about the relationship, not to cut your thought off here, yeah. but the relationship, is there something there even with the relationship of the animal, of, of naming? Yeah. What, what does it mean to name a thing? Yeah. Right? Like... Yeah, and this is, so naming is part of understanding and seeing and under, you know, yeah. to name something is to understand it, see it. We don't, we don't see it unless we have a word for it. You know, you've, we've experienced this. We get a word and we go, oh yeah, 
You know, like the plastic tip at the end of your at the end of your shoelace actually has a name. Once you hear the name of it, then you actually start seeing that plastic tip at mm. the end of the shoelace. Mm. It's called an epaulette or something. I forget. Now I forget really? the word. But now that we've named it, it's actually a thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, but language is how we connect and how we love, you know, and mm. how we commune. Yes. And this is the ultimate destination. So this is the deep purpose or the high purpose or whatever you want to say is that God would have a loving communion of persons. Mm. And that's why language is at the heart of this. And I thought, that's why I think language is at the heart of mission. Yeah. Because if, if language divides and it's possible to divide, it's also possible for language to connect and understand and commune, right? All the best facets of language. Yeah. I think there's a, a, an important tension here too that um, so theologians wrestle with language. Um, I mean, that's part of what theology is, but there is a practice. Most theologians would tell you um, our, our most, in one sense, our most faithful <laughs> uh, witness is um, what's called apophaticism or negative theology. And this is Goodness, we don't actually, we talk about knowing God. We don't know God. Like God, God is beyond knowledge. And so what negative theology does is it takes it from that perspective of saying what we don't know. Um, but the problem is we still have to, we still have to talk mm -hmm. and we still have to speak. So, you know, Stephen, to your point, to say, I don't know is actually part of that is faithful witness right we think i don't know i'm stalling until i do know there's actually all kinds of things about god that we can simply say i don't know <laughs> um that is faithful witness but what i do know is that i was blind uh but now i can see is also deeply faithful witness and and central to what witness is so there's this fascinating mix of speaking truthfully about what we don't know and about what we do know. I think of, you know, kind of going back to um, Logan's question early on, um, I, part of what I feel called to do in my life is to invite people into mystery and to say, like, this world is not merely we're born, we grow up, go to school, work, and then we die. Um, that actually the world is filled with mystery and we ourselves are mystery. And to bringing people into that awareness of like, we're, we're actually swimming in this thing. Um, and so what's interesting when you get into that is to, to, to speak of God, um, you know, I have friends who are atheists and they would, oh, it's all irrational. I said, there's a difference here between irrationality and transrationality. Mm -hmm. There's a rationality that is above us. Irrationality is rationality that is below us. We know enough to say that that, that doesn't make sense according to language, according to our ideas and how we formulate. There are other things that are above us and we say, we don't know, um, and we don't need to know, but we are embraced, actually, by this not knowing. And 
So there's this, and I know this is, all sounds very kind of up in the clouds type speech, um, but I do think that both of those elements become so deeply important of we, it is not our, we don't know everything about God. We, we know very little about God, but we bear witness to what God has done in our lives and to what God has done in Jesus Christ. The death and the resurrection of Jesus and the incarnation of Jesus, right? That Jesus lived among us. What was Jesus' life like? And then what is God doing among us now? I once, you know, all I know is that I was blind, now I can see. And so there's the not knowing is okay. And, and so I would say don't let that be a hindrance to mission. Actually, it's, it's a deep part of it. That makes sense. So I've probably taken us way off, Bob, into <laughs> no, the no, way great. up into the ethereal yeah. clouds here somewhere. But I, I do think that those. I, I just like the point that was made about the blind man's. He saw, and then he spoke according to what he saw. Yeah. And there were, you know, there's, there's, yeah. I won't say any more. We have a question here. Um. So just what you were saying about. The saying, I don't know. I thought that was interesting because uh, I have this friend who uh, we've been friends for quite a while now, and he's had we've had lots of questions or conversations about my faith because he does not have faith. And he's just, he's had lots and lots of questions for me. And he's like, okay, but like, what is sin? Like, how did Jesus just resurrect from the dead? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, like, how. Like, there needs to be, in my mind, like, I need to convince you. And in order to do that, I can't say, well, it's just, you have to believe. Like, just trust me on this. Mm. But there needs to be that rationality. Like, there's that piece missing where it's like everything yeah. else in the world makes sense based on science, based on math, based on this. Like, there's a solution for everything in their mind. There's no, like, and when I say they, like, anyone who doesn't have faith. But... I just, I don't know how to, like, not have that rationality part, which I've done a lot of research in, like, how some of those key parts can, like, work together with faith and evolution and how that can sort of work together, but yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah. That's really good. There's a little book by John Lennox. Hmm. John Lennox is scientist, and... Uh, it's not a big book, but I think it'd be a worthwhile read. Um, what faith or what science cannot answer, something like that. So it is okay to say we don't know everything, but just to point out the limits of science, which people who are very science-minded recognize there are limits to what science can answer. So there's the, the world is filled with wonder of things like our own consciousness can't be explained, and people haven't been able to through scientific means explain that adequately yeah. there's all kinds of wonders in the scientific realm right tom so who, who are other scientists if i need to pick on someone else here besides tom anybody else i mean you know this right there's there's things that can't be answered and that are wondrous it's not as as you know as you said it's not uh irrational it's it's above our rationality and this is what the scientific model is always showing us we're breaking through into new understandings of things yeah so, yeah. yeah. But then there are, so it's, it's both, right? So it's like, but then there are other things within, you know, Tom's discipline, which he goes, well, actually, I can, I can name that. 
So I, because I think that's an important, I think that's an important point of like why we need to be continuously, continuously curious mm -hmm. people and, and digging into the answers and why the programs are an anathema, <laughs> are, are, are work against us in the long run, I think. So then be curious about sin. What, what does, you know, what is sin? Like, that's an amazing question, actually. Um, One of the most important questions, I would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like, not as necessarily an attempt to answer all those questions or something like that, but just to show how, for me, they become important. Um, as you become more curious about those things, then you can begin to distinguish things that I think are outside of the language um, of religious talk, so to speak. Like, sin... Fleming Rutledge, and this is religious talk for a minute, but she, she would say that there are three actors um, on the, you know, on the stage of, of life, so to speak. She said, Christians often talk about two, God and humanity. She said, but there is this third issue of, of the devil. What does this mean, though? And so she would talk about, for example, um, the difference between bad and evil. So, um, the whole, you know, taking a cookie from the cookie jar when your mother told you not to is bad. This is within our grasp. Um, annihilating millions of Jews, this is not bad. This is evil. What is that? Where does that come from? How? So I would then pose those types of questions as well of just being mutually curious. Like, how do you understand that? For me, I understand that as there is a force within the world. We would speak of it as the devil or, you know, um, the demonic. Um, how would you speak of it? So I think that mutual curiosity of we don't, there are the things we don't know, right? And then there are the things that we can at least be mutually curious about. And it is why I think Christians need to continually engage in the intellectual life. So I do think that that's a, that's a really important uh, important thing we, I, we go, people are hopping up now I think um, just counting like as a philosophy major I engage with people who are asking these questions all the time and I think I just really want to say like yes the mutual curiosity is so so huge because mm. when they ask me and it's like ah oh, you know what you know that's kind of it's an interesting question like here's maybe a few thoughts on it but then to turn it back well, do you have an answer for that in your life in your framework of understanding, yeah. how would you understand that people are bad or that you even feel like there is something even that is bad at all or that is evil, right? Yeah. And so like, you know, maybe I not, might not be able to give you a full explanation right now, but can you, in your framework of understanding, obviously you have a conception of, of things that are bad, but how do you conceive of that in your understanding? And maybe yes. you have things that you need to fill in um, in how you understand it, right? And not in this mm. kind of arrogant way, but in, in just kind of this, yeah, mutually curious way to say, what is your conception of it? And maybe 
why are you asking this question in the first place, right? Why are yeah. you even curious about the problem of evil? And what is in your heart that is like kind of stirring that you're like wanting to know about this? I think that's really big. Yeah, agreed. And can't the spirit use use just that curiosity, right? Absolutely. And this is why uh, I think uh, mission is so comprehensive. Yeah. Because at one point we might be talking about, um, you know, helping kids. Uh, did we say this before our session or during our session with the kids with the tap dancing? That was before. Yeah, yeah before, before. Oh, yeah. So uh, just helping children in simple ways and maybe teaching them their ABCs is part of the mission of God. Yeah. Literacy is. But then delving into these things, you know, the deeper philosophical questions is part of the mission of God. Mm. And actually working actively against evil in appropriate Christian ways. Yeah is part of the mission of God, but it's so comprehensive. That's why uh, we all find, you know, to identify with the story of God and where this big story is going is to be ultimately hopeful and to say, now, how am I included in this? Yeah, totally. What is my role? What is my gifting? What is my passion? How has God set up my life to be part of this ultimately triumphant good? But it's such a comprehensive thing. Yeah. And that's why even to name witness is one aspect Witness is what we do when we're doing probably other things. Mm. We're giving a yeah. reason for what we're doing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh, man. Here's comes the day. Yep. <laughs> I just had a question about yeah. you saying, like, part of the mission is, like, doing things like, like, maybe teaching, like, the ABCs or... Yeah. Like, at the beginning, you talked about, like, how kids are just, like, like, enjoying, like, physical activity or stuff like that. Yeah. And, like... Can you, but, like, that's not something that's, like, exclusive to Christians. So, like, when you're doing good things or, like, teaching and, like, educating <clears throat> and stuff like that, that's part of the mission of God. But you, like, ha don't have God as a part of your life at all. Like, is that still, can you unintentionally be, like, yeah. part of the mission of God? Or, like, yeah. you're, like, experiencing, like, godly things or, like, what does that look like? Great question. Yeah. Well, I say absolutely yes, and there's all kinds of people who are actively participating in the kingdom of God and don't know that's what they're doing. But anytime you're doing good and loving and helping and <laughs> telling the truth and cleaning up messes and whatever you're doing, uh, and all of that good human activity, you're participating in, in the kingdom of God. And that's why one Catholic theologian, Karl Rahner, talked about anonymous Christians. Hmm. They, they don't know that they're participating, but their heart is oriented towards that. Yeah. Um, so this is the language of the kingdom of God. Yeah. So you've got more to say on that, though. Oh, I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I think you can, I think that's exactly right. You're participating. You know, every, every person has been made in the image of God. Um, so we're going to reflect that. And, and there are, like you said, right? There are people whose hearts are attuned. They don't have name. They, they can't name it yet. So like yeah. the, the two sides of this coin are, a, you can be involved in that very much named mission, okay, the evangelistic crusade, and you can do great damage to people, even while people are coming to faith. And you can be not a Christian and reflect something of the image of God and not have the name for it and do great good. Um, and this is, again, part of the great mystery of God. Um, I, I think coming back to your point, um, as Christians, we 
continually point back to the death and resurrection of Jesus, but is there a way that the resurrection power is so strong that it's even being worked sometimes through people who can't name it? I, and I think that that's the beautiful mystery of God, right? So, yeah, I, that is a phenomenal question. Image of God, uh, how do we square that with the idea that the line between good and evil divides the human heart? Divides what? Say that again? Like runs through the middle of the human heart. Oh, Yeah, which is an amazing book to read if you ever, since we're always talking books around here. <laughs> the Gulag Archipelago. Yeah. Um, so, this goes to the idea that God made all things good, which is Genesis 1 and 2, but that we've been corrupted. So this is the basic Christian story, the biblical story, is uh, creation, fall, right? That's, that's so somehow, and see, this is a hopeful thing. When we talk about sin, it's a hopeful, it's not only an explanatory idea, it's a hopeful idea. Because actually when we say, well, you know, I, I did that because I'm only human. Actually, that's not the truth. The truth of our humanity is that we are all infected with this disease. It's spread to all of us and none escapes it. But it's not intrinsic to human, humanity. And therefore, it can be removed from us. And God's uh, solution in Christ is to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So the future is hopeful for us. If right now the line between good and evil runs through every human heart, which is Solzhenitsyn's quote, and is true, we've all been infected by it, it doesn't mean that it's essential to our humanity. And this gets to some very deep questions about who we are and what we do in the world, because a lot of this is, I think, with the loss of the vision of God, we've reduced to all human behavior now as to this is just who I am. Mm. We have to reclaim that. So one of the things I was saying in my talk was this idea of freedom. I yeah. mean, it's more complex than what I said. But to gain back human freedom and to say, my sin is not essential to my personhood, even though I might not be able to escape it myself. I need help. It's still hopeful to say that sin can be removed from me. I can be forgiven. I can be cleansed. And uh, I have a future. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and a different, I have a different identity than perhaps what I've given myself, right? Beautiful. All of that matters to the Christian story. Soleil. Um, something that came to mind when I was listening to um, another question about doing good deeds um, is the question of like uh, kind of Kant's theory on morality um, and how the intent behind uh, a deed is often more important than the deed itself, which I don't know if I agree with that, <laughs> but I do think that it's a funny question, like in terms of even like mission and witnessing, like is our intent more important than what mm. happens? It's mm. a great question. We don't know, okay. <laughs> Take care, everybody. <laughs> no, this is, what do you think, Bob? Well, yes and no. I mean, we cause damage. If you look back in the history of medical science, uh, there was a lot of well-intentioned cures that were making people sicker, right? So, so ignorance does hurt us. <laughs> 
But there's a difference between, I would suppose, moral evil. You know, this is where we're getting uh, distinctions and nuances. You know, that which is intended to harm versus that which is just done out of ignorance. That's for God, right? But still, here, here's the world we live in. What we do, actually, we actually have agency to do things, which is both hopeful and part of the problem. If I throw a rock at a window, which I did when I was a kid, and I was horrified to watch the rock actually hit the window and shatter it, you know, I wasn't absolved from what happened there. My action actually had a consequence. Um, so this is the, the world we live in, um, and that's the world God put us in, yeah. which then has a lot of mystery to it because there are things like accidents, which totally baffle me theologically when an accident happens and yeah. something changes in a life because of an accident. But somehow God is able to take all this and he's the master chess player and move it towards a good end. Right. But you're asking the complexities and the nuances. I would say as to what you said, Phil, about there are things we can't actually calculate on our big board of meaning. <laughs> but, but need to perpetually pay attention to. Yeah. Right? So that's yes. what I when, I... when I hear that question, I think, thank God that the grace of God, yes. in the grace of God, uh, God is able, to, yeah, as the master chess player, yeah. to somehow work through our human, you know, um, corruption, complicity. But... I, back to the program, I just, I, I really am glad you brought that up. Another part of the program, the problem of, I, here's my evangelistic script, is we do find maybe the motivation was right, but then we begin to learn, oh my goodness, there were colonial elements to this or whatever else. Well, shouldn't we revise even if the intent was good? Should we not revise? So this is why, as Christians, we need to be perpetually thinking people and, and thinking with our minds and our hearts and looking at our motivations and looking at our actions both and um, paying deep attention to them, I think. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, how like Christ, non-Christians do God's work without even realizing it. But at the end of the day, they do it for the wrong intentions, I think. They do it for, like, their own glory. versus. And then Christians, sometimes we do good things with bad intentions, but still God can do use that for his glory. Like, I remember, I don't know the verse or what exactly it says, but it's like some people preach the gospel for, like, bad intentions, but, like, the gospel is preached nonetheless. So, um, yeah, but when you said that, that really, like, connected some dots for me because I was just talking to this Muslim girl, and one thing, because I was trying to explain the Trinity, you know, I was like, okay... That's so funny that you were saying that we shouldn't try to act like we have all the answers. I feel like I must have all the answers. So I was explaining the Trinity, very simple stuff. And I was just saying how like, oh, it's like us, like we're body, soul, and spirit, you know, three in one. And she's like, well, in Islam, soul and spirit are the same. And then that just clicked me because like, you know, in the Bible, it's like the word of God is sharper than any two edged sword dividing soul and spirit. They don't have the word of God to divide the soul and spirit. And they really believe they are just prone to sin. Like in Islam, it literally says like, it literally says, like, if you guys did sin, God would destroy you because he wants you to sin because that's your nature, essentially. So they feel, like, kind of justified when they sin because, like, oh, it's just who I am. And there's no power um, greater than that to redeem them. And, yeah, I just connected so many dots there because it's, like, I feel like that's such a powerful thing I don't think about. Just the fact that, like, 
mm. I am not my sin. And even though it feels like I am, because it literally has bond, like I'm in bondage to it. Like Jesus gives us like that window of opportunity to like not have to stay there and like realize like we are not that. You know, that's mm. all. Mm. I, I would say that though that. I think people overwhelmingly have good intentions, yeah. but that we're a mix. So I know that my intentions aren't always noble. And I've been a pastor for 36 years, so there's my confession. And I think there, uh, every mother and, and father in the world that are raising kids and whatever, I think people are filled with wonderful intentions. So I think we're a mix, just to push back a little bit there. Yeah. I just um, wanted to say, yeah. sorry, that... Yeah. Um, that's true, yeah. but the problem, I guess, is like even like in the world, like a lot of secular people think like they have the best intentions with some things that they do, but the result is always bad because without God, we cannot do good. Like you know, like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it's like literally without God, even okay, though your intentions are so Okay, but might God be working in people who don't know that it's? God oh yeah, everything them. is yeah. for His glory at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, but still, like yeah. even though you think your intentions are good, like if they're not aligned with God, like God's like. I don't know, like, yeah. you know what I mean? I do, mm. so I don't know if it's about, I, think, I don't think it's our intentions that save us so much. I think it's just like God and his grace. So let's have a good definition of the kingdom of God. I think the kingdom of God, a good definition would be where what God wants is done, right? So we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done. What does God want? Well, what does God want? He, he wants children to grow up and become... <laughs> whole persons anybody who's dealing anybody who's helping that become so is doing good work and god's work what does god want god wants order i mean i think it's good that we drive on the right side of the road (laughs) and we all sort of agree to that at least in our country yeah yeah Yeah, sure yeah but we sort of have an agreement on certain order that's that's good we can navigate the world with order so I would put God's presence and God's kingdom at a deeper level than I think often we tend to think of it. We tend to think of it as, well, it's a service yeah. or it's a worship time or it's a, it's, a, it's a mission downtown. I would say God's kingdom is actually pervasive, but it's always being confronted by evil and sin and whatever. But I would put God's kingdom at much more pervasive in the world than, than often I grew Absolutely. up thinking. So that's Absolutely. been a shift in me. And, and this yeah. to me, and then we'll get to Logan, this to me is the importance of the Solzhenitsyn quote that you brought up. Yeah. The, so to give some context to this, um, where does the line of good and evil, where is it drawn? Okay. So if we always like to say that it's out there. It's between us and them, yeah. right? Um, this happens in so many ways. I think of... Um, 9-11, and George Bush stood up and said, we are going to destroy the axis of evil. Yeah. And the axis of evil, then, exists on the other side of the world. Solzhenitsyn's point is, uh, actually, the line of evil runs down the center of each one of us. So what this does is provides a humility to our witness. That it's not the point that um, we are the good people, even if we're confused, at least we're, you know, the, the, the evil is out there somewhere. Um, and I think this is an important point of dealing with, you know, it was brought up about ethics and different things, to be able to speak from the place of our own brokenness, 
instead of going out and speaking about, well, let me tell you about your brokenness and how Jesus can help you. It's like, well, no, actually the line of evil runs down each one of us. Let me talk to you about my brokenness and how Jesus um, was able to speak into that and continues to speak into that and bring healing. So anyway, Logan, and then uh, I guess we'll, we'll wrap up. I think maybe what's behind that question a little bit is what makes us different then? Um, and I think that's kind of the question that I also had when you said that as like, okay, great, everyone's doing good things, but what makes us different as Christians? And maybe this is a good point to conclude on, but like even yeah. in our mission, right? What, what does make us different? Yeah. <clears throat> good, good question. There's every advantage to knowing Jesus in this world. There's every advantage to receiving the Holy Spirit to empower the good in us. Um, the only clarification I would make is we're not on the safe side of sin. <laughs> we're experiencing it this in the church at large right now where our sins are being exposed. Um, so we're not on the safe side of sin. That's the Solzhenitsyn quote. He's, he says... The line between good and evil does not run between political parties, or I forget what else. He, he says several qualifications there. So, so the advantage is the acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and Savior, the ultimate direction of the story, all the resources of God, but we're not complete yet. We're mm. still in the wrestling. We're still in the struggling. Um, and so this is, I think, what the New Testament teaches, that we're not out of that struggle yet <laughs> but that's why we're to pray i think we should pray this prayer every day yeah your kingdom come your will be done yes as a reminder that we're in that that we're not in somehow christendom we're not on the safe side of that problem and and the wall you know has sort of kept us safe yeah um, I, I think i i would say something here that i never thought that i would say is this is where the importance of the doctrine of election comes in. And I really want to qualify what I'm going to say here. I wholeheartedly reject the idea that God elects some people to salvation and other people, well, it's predetermined, they're going to hell, all that kind of stuff. Election, and this is to Newbigin's point, he said God always has a people because God works in people through other people and so we have the responsibility of bearing the name Jesus and of knowing what Jesus and I'm not saying anything different really than, than what Bob has said um, we bear the name of Jesus uh, why would we to know Jesus why would we not want to share Jesus with absolutely everybody um, but we don't do it from the safe side of sin we don't do it because God likes us more. We don't do it, um, you know, any of those things. We simply happen to be the recipients of this great story, which is now to be passed on to other people because that's how God somehow chooses to do it. We are beggars giving other beggars bread in a hungry world. Amen. You want to bless the people? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you for your wonderful questions. And so, Lord, uh, we would want to say right now that we're, we're all, um, well, first of all, we're so thankful for the light of your word. Um, we're still trying to grasp it. 
Lord. We're still trying to understand the fullness. So may we be passionate to keep pursuing light and truth, but may we also wake up uh, as this, this blind man did to realizing that somehow he had been touched. Somehow he had been marked with favor, favor to, to be a sign and a symbol of your presence in the world uh, as a witness. Lord, that's what I want for myself. That's what I'd wish for my friends, that somehow we would be signs and symbols and uh, witnesses of your goodness in the world that, Lord, you are bringing to the whole world because as the scripture tells us, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. So, Lord, we, we pray for that day. We look forward to the resolution of your story in the world. We pray for peace in our time. We pray, God, for um, our own participation in the mission in meaningful ways that you might be glorified in our lives. Pray blessing upon tonight as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, see you on April 14th. Grace and peace.